With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this edition of Ruthology, Justin and Matt welcome Corey Waldron, host of the Full Access Pacers podcast and the Outcast podcast on the OTG Basketball Network. Corey brings his insight into how the Pacers offseason has been so far. We tackle hot topics such as DeAndre Ayton, Pacers rookie Benedict Matron, and a lot more. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes. Email us at hoochologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now here's a conversation with Corey. He is the host of the Outlet Podcast and the Full Access Pacers Podcast on the OTG Basketball Network. We welcome Corey Waldron onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Corey? It's going good. Uh, obviously, uh, you guys have been a part of the OTG Basketball uh, Podcast Network for for a, a minute now, um, and I'm finally yeah. uh, doing my round on the pod, so I'm excited to be here finally. And it's awesome that you're a guest, and it, I think the timing's appropriate. I think the Pacers have been in the news um, for the last couple of months for this really this bizarre offseason that we've seen so far. So I'll hop right <laughs> into it, and I just want to get your opinion on kind of what emotions you're running through when all of this DeAndre Ayton um, situation was going down in terms of the Pacers offering him the contract and then the Suns matching in, ultimately the Suns getting Aiden back. Like, what was your mindset? Were you happy about Aiden possibly becoming an Indiana Pacer? I've known there's been within just the basketball community kind of like a split in terms of his value um, as like a game changer on a team. What was kind of your opinion when all that stuff was going down? Yeah, I mean, let's also preference. I mean, this is the number one overall draft pick as well. So again, I know that Luca probably should have been the number one pick that year for, you know, going back through history, but it, it's definitely exciting. I think for first off, just to have a player of his caliber uh, at his age, having interest in the Pacers, I think is a really big step for the franchise. When it comes to the actual prospect of adding Aiton to the Pacers, my one concern, which I think is fair is I just get worried when I'm paying a center over 30 million a year. I think that's a little bit of a concern, especially when you're not Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid. Uh, I even kind of worry about Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, who are also now in that, that high money range at the center position, because I just think you can get a, a Robert Williams, for example, for that 12, 13 million, and you're still getting the kind of value and the kind of production you're looking for from the center position. So I do worry if you're going to be throwing that much money at a guy like this, again, the Pacers obviously had that cap space to throw around. I do think if Aiden had ended up with the Pacers, Tyrese Halliburton and DeAndre Aiden probably would have been a supercharged pick and roll. Obviously, we saw Aiden and Chris Paul finally start to get a lot of rhythm, a lot of momentum over the couple of these last past, last two years. Of course, there were some growing pains early on with Aiden and Chris Paul, but I, I think that combination would have been really good to see. However, we're not going to see that, but I, I think – a small market team like the Pacers, you have to take those kind of swings, even if you miss out, because you're just not going to get those kind of guys, generally speaking, in free agency. So I, I, I respect the risk they took. I'm A part of me is disappointed, but also a part of me is kind of glad because, again, like I mentioned, I'm worried anytime I'm offering a center over $30 million a year. 
What do you think the ramifications are going to be from the face from the Pacers failing to acquire Aiden? Do you see any long term like residual damage from them taking that risk, or do you think um, the Pacers will just move on with their off season plans? Well, I, I mean, the, the biggest question mark now is how offended was Miles Turner, right? Uh, obviously, I'm I'm a big Miles Turner fan. That that's my guy. I love the when you're looking at modern day centers, he's the ideal center for. Most teams, he can shoot the three. He can he can defend on the perimeter somewhat, and he's one of the best rim protectors in the league. Uh, maybe struggles rebounding, but obviously coming out of you know last season, he had requested a trade. He had made it known that he was tired of having to share center minutes with Demontis Sabonis. The Pacers trade Sabonis. A lot of their press and a lot of their comments have sounded as if they were going to give Miles Turner the chance at the sole center position once again. And now having them go after DeAndre Ayton, if you're Miles Turner, you're probably thinking, well, damn, you know, once again, this team is trying to get another center in here to replace me. Obviously, he has one year left on his deal. So if I had to guess, I, I would assume he, he probably plays this one out. If not, you know, obviously there's other trades, the Pacers, rumors the Pacers are involved in. I think Miles Turner is probably the biggest question mark is how much was he affected by this uh, contract. I'm sure that he was well involved in in the sense of I'm sure the team told him, at least I, I hope they told him, or we're looking at maybe another messy situation. But again, the Pacers also have a lot of young centers on the roster, Isaiah Jackson and Goga Badazi. Uh, they signed Jalen Smith as well, which the Suns just pretty much let walk for nothing. So I do wonder if the Pacers themselves, that they missed out on Aiden, are going to be more free to moving miles Turner simply because they do have a lot of young centers behind him on the roster playing devil's advocate here, Corey, do you think, you know, I would argue and correct me if I'm wrong, that miles Turner has been basically the trade rumor player of the last, I don't know, three plus years or so, like when are the Pacers going to trade miles Turner? And you see all these hypothetical deals with him. Do you think that could have a potential benefit that maybe, you know, he, he has, you know, a hardened shell to this with being in rumors before. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think anytime your name is constantly in rumors, you have to develop a thick skin, especially in the NBA, because I mean, again, anytime you're pop, I knew a uh, CJ McCollum mentioned this a couple of years ago on the, on the Bill Simmons podcast about how he's always seen his name in trade rumors, you know, <laughs> trying to split him and Dame up. Obviously that finally came to tuition, but I think when you're a guy who, I think you can look at it one or two ways, right? It's kind of a benefit that you're always in trade rumors because that means at least there's some sort of value and teams are wanting to acquire you or fan bases are wanting to acquire you. That's one positive look at it. Um, I would say that Miles Turner, given the fact that it might have even been four or five years, honestly, that he's been in trade rumors for the Pacers. So I would say he probably does have a thick skin to it. But like anybody, I think for him, it's more so like, I just want to know what my role is. I want to know I'm wanted. It may not be the trade rumor part. It may just be him just wanting some some sort of safety and some sort of security wherever he is, especially the fact that he's going to be a free agent. So if the Patriots want to retain him, I'm going to assume that he wants to start seeing some loyalty in return because he is currently the longest tenured pacer on this roster. And kind of piggybacking also off of something Justin 
brought up and alluded to. I just wanted to get your thoughts. What are the Pacers' plans right now in general? I mean, we can talk about this big picture Aiton deal that didn't land, but where are they right now? Are they somewhere on the rebuild spectrum? Uh, They got a lot of young talent on that roster. Where do you kind of think they are in their trajectory right now? And and what are their goals for this upcoming season? They are in full rebuild mode. Uh, For the first time in 30 years, this team is rebuilding. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, uh, they were looking for a quick rebuild if they were to sign DeAndre Ayton. I think they would have been winning a lot sooner than expected. But make no mistake, this is definitely a team that's rebuilding. They're going to be looking to see Ben Matherin and and Tyrese Halliburton try to coexist. Uh, I think I believe that this was the first six pick in franchise history. It was the first time that they were top seven in a draft in 30 years, or maybe it was 25 years, some long. I mean, they've had a couple lottery picks, of course, Paul George, um, the pick that became Kawhi Leonard. But yeah, this team is definitely in rebuild mode. Uh, Rick Carlisle has signed on as well to be a part of the rebuild. I, I don't think they're expecting this to be a long rebuild. They're probably hoping that they're bad last year, this upcoming year, and hopefully they get another hot top draft pick and they can start winning again. But the Pacers in the short term are definitely looking to rebuild for sure. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Gotcha. And, and uh, as a Houston Rockets fan, I, I'm right there with you in uh, in this rebuild mode. Just wanted to get your thoughts also on how the reunion with Rick Carlisle has been going and how do you feel about Kevin Pritchard and him uh, configuring this team moving forward? Do you think these are the right hands to have on this rebuild? I, I honestly, I do, especially given the fact of uh, coming into you know, this offseason, a lot of people are like, well, Rick Carlisle is not a rebuild guy. But the fact that he's signed on to the rebuild, I think, says a lot. I know that he has spent a lot of time with Benedict Matherin already to getting extra reps in. I know even last year when he first came to the Pacers, he was meeting up with Miles Turner one-on-one. He's meeting up with Malcolm Brogdon one-on-one. Obviously, a couple of those players are no longer with the team. But I think Carlisle taking a really big leadership role and really trying to grow the talent that's in Indiana says a lot about what his relationship is to the city and to the team itself. And from reports I've seen, uh, Kevin Pritchard has done a lot of his work with the, with the thoughts and the ear of Rick Carlisle. So Carlisle is actively in the room when they're making these decisions. So I think it, everyone's on the same page. We look at this organization and even Herb Simon, a guy who has been really tight with the wallet and not wanting to open it up. He was the one who signed off on the Deandre eight in front. So I think the organization as, as a whole might've been just tired of the fact for about six years following the Eastern conference finals runs. It was just a first round in and a first round out playoff team, just stuck in that middle tier. And I think everyone within the organization wants to see if they can somehow get this team back over the hump and make them a serious threat in the Eastern conference again. So Corey, you brought up Ben Matherin and I just want to get your thoughts with his participation in summer league. It got cut short due to just his injury, but um, from the stats, he seemed like he looked really good. What are your thoughts Um with him and summer league, did you see anything that surprised you was unexpected and um, anything that swayed your opinion in terms of how he's going to fit with the Pacers this coming season? Yeah, I know uh, coming out of college, a lot of concern was with his ball handling abilities and if he was going to be able to to create his own shot. I think off the dribble, uh, there's still some work to be done there, but he's a pretty damn good catch and shoot shooter already for a, for a kid, his young, his, for a kid as young as him. Plays defense, I think, with a tenacity that you really like to see. Uh, can get up and down the floor. 
honestly, I think he's the perfect kind of guard to pair with a Tyrese Halliburton because he can do a lot of things off ball. Whereas, you know, when you have a point guard like Tyrese Halliburton, who's honestly looking for everyone around him to begin with, you don't want to pair him with a guard that needs the ball in his hands. You want to try to get a guy who can play more off ball. I think Benedict Matherin has the ability to do that. Obviously, his his uh, summer league was cut short by the toe injury. But I was really impressed by what I saw, especially in the fact that even some of his best games, he wasn't playing a lot of minutes. And I think that's the part that really stuck out. Is he was getting a lot of production with not even a high uh, high usage rate. So, Corey, I just want to get your overall opinion of shifting gears to kind of the rest of the NBA of Summer League itself as an event. Um, Matt and I have been fortunate enough to, to go there in years past. Um, I think it's a great event for just any type of NBA fan. What do you think the future is of this event? Because I don't see really an equivalent of this in any other area of sports. I think the league does a great job in, you know, keeping itself relevant um, in a event that has a lot of rookies and players that are most likely not going to make the league when the season starts. But yet it's a huge event for basketball fans. Um, are you positive on summer league or negative? What's your overall thoughts on this event as a um, kind of a promotion for the league overall? I'm a fan of it. I, I think it's great that, you know, basketball is pretty much a year round sport now, right? Even when the season ends, we have that little mini break and then free agency and summer league kick off right away. And I think honestly, it, it's good for the league. Just seeing the the growth of fans at these games, I think is extremely important. Like you mentioned, these aren't stars. You know, most of these guys we're watching summer league aren't even going to make the league. I mean, I hope the best for everybody, of course. And I hope they, you know, show out to get G league deals and two way deals and whatnot, but this is a mini showcase for these young guys. And I think this is also, you know, not to go too much on a tangent. I think this is kind of like the blueprint of when the NBA thinks about those mid season tournaments. I think they want to try to create an environment similar to this, where you just have a bunch of people coming out for two weeks or a week, just because they want the ability to watch some NBA players to be around, Again, like all of these uh, summer league games, you have LeBron James courtside. You have all of these front office executives uh, courtside at these games. It has, like you guys mentioned, it has become a serious event um, to the point where I plan on going in the next couple of years of summer league. I hope I get out there to Vegas. Now, granted, I know it's like 110 degrees generally during this summer league event, but I think it's great for the league just the fact of it doesn't matter what type of talent is out there. People want to watch the NBA. People want to see guys trying to to grow, trying to earn these deals. Because, again, the games matter to a lot of these kids. And you can tell the game matters to a lot of these kids. So I think that's why the product is becoming better is because you can feel the sense of urgency among these young guys. Shifting topics again, Corey, I, I wanted to pick your brain about this. Justin and I haven't had a chance to talk about this on our own episodes a whole lot uh, in the past couple of weeks. KD is one of those players that, and I don't need to tell you this, I'm just setting the stage. He's one of those players that's going to be mentioned as a player of this era. You know, when you talk about like the LeBron era, the LeBron and KD era, etc. What do you make of this offseason for him? And is this trade request a legitimate thing or is this kind of a, a ploy like a power move for KD just to make the Nets a little bit more hungry, make the Nets front office a little more desperate? I mean, it, it's, it's really tough to say what, what the actual motives are, especially because of the timing of the request, right? I, it, sure. it comes just after Kyrie opts in, 
It comes minutes after Royce O'Neal is dealt to the Nets for a first-round draft pick. And it felt like that Royce O'Neal deal was kind of the move to please Kevin Durant because we we know if you're watching, if anyone who watched the Nets, they needed wings last year. They had way too many guards, not enough wings. When Durant went down, that was a big issue for them. So it felt like they were addressing some of the issues, some of the concerns. I know the guys over the Broken Buzz have even mentioned that KD wanted them last deadline to get some wings. So I think partly it is some pressure on KD, but I just think because of how how messy the situation with the front office and Kyrie got, I think Kevin Durant, just looking out for his friend in a sense, just doesn't want to be a part of that. I do think he comes back this year only because I think that Rudy Gobert trade just set the bar in the market just way out of whack. And if Rudy Gobert's going to get four first-round draft picks, I'm sorry, you just can't trade Kevin Durant for anything less than six. I mean, that's just how this goes. And I know some people are saying, well, it's different when the player's demanding out. I, I, I don't care because Kevin Durant is, like we mentioned, he is one of the faces for the last – 15 years in the league is Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Stephen Curry. They are on their own plateau and their own, their own stratosphere, if you will. Uh, so I, I don't think he's going to end up going anywhere, at least not until maybe the deadline. And again, I, I will say that I do think this is, as Adam Silver, I think is even upset about this. I do think this sets a really bad precedent for the league. That effect of one of your best marquee players, a top five guy, gets an extension of four years and is already demanding out of his location. I think that's a, that's a tough spot for the NBA because we are, we are well into the player empowerment period, but this is the kind of stuff that worries me about how much power is too much power for these guys. And again, I'm all about players having control of their destiny and making their money and everything else. But it's these type of scenarios that are a little bit worrisome, I think for not just the NBA, but, but pretty much any team, especially small to mid market teams where it's hard enough as it is to keep a star player. hundred percent agree. And to your point, we had this conversation last off season when Ben Simmons requested his trade after signing that extension. So now you have two, major stars. Of course, Ben Simmons doesn't have the resume that KD does, but two back-to-back seasons, you know, household names are at least close to it with Ben Simmons requesting these trades. I totally agree with you about it impacting the brand as a whole of the NBA. What do you make of legacy talk with KD? I mean, I think in some respects, it's kind of silly because we know what he can do on the court, but like these talks that happened pre- uh, DeAndre Ayton move when when we weren't sure where he was going to go. Does that, in your mind, impact his legacy if he joins up on the Phoenix Suns, or are these kind of um, you know sports talk points? I think they're definitely more sport talk points than anything else. But you know, again, it. I feel like he's already damaged himself enough by going to the Warriors, despite how it turned out and everything else. I think most people, if you were to, to ask them right off the cuff, they're going to say it was a weak move, right? I mean, anytime sure. you're up 3-1 against a team, you lose to them, they lose in the finals, and you join up with them. You know, a- as a competitor, you just don't want to see that. You, you don't want to see somebody taking the easy road, taking the easy way out. And it definitely does seem like that's what he did. And just hearing the names and the team that he's picking right now, it feels like he's going along the similar route. You know, Miami, Phoenix, Uh, The Celtics, obviously, are the latest team. These are all teams that are knocking on the door winning a title. Now, of course, I don't expect Durant to go, okay, I want to go back to OKC. Let me get back with the young guys and make a run with them. I don't expect that. (laughs) But there is something that's somewhat bothersome when when you see a player as great as KD 
take the quote-unquote easy road to try to get more rings. Corey, I want to ask you, to the Kevin Durant point, and I think he's indicative of what's happening with the league now in terms of, I guess, the players not being dictated by the media. I think that was a thing when, you know, growing up watching the Bulls where kind of, you know, the players perform on the court and then they get interviewed by the media and then the players go about their business and basically they have no control over that media narrative. Now you're seeing players both newly retired and even currently in the league control their narrative in terms of how they're portrayed to their fan base. And I just want to get your thoughts in terms of the kind of the changing media landscape in terms of kind of we're seeing this resistance with um, – um, Draymond Green, I blanked on his name, I don't know why, but Draymond Green in terms of, you know, during the finals, he's doing podcasts, you know, every <laughs> single game, and you're seeing, you know, CJ McCollum call out Stephen A. Smith along with, you know, J.J. Redick, and you're seeing a lot of these players, you know, not just be hostile during just the post-game press conference, but, you know, having their own platforms to present the player side of things. What do you think of that, and do you think that's a positive for the NBA overall, or do you see it as a negative? What do you think of kind of, you know, this player empowerment movement moving towards the media side as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's definitely, it's brand new, right? I mean, the Draymond Green stuff was one of the, the crazier things I've seen is the fact that after every game, even the, the ones where he struggled, he's podcast. So I respect it to a degree because I, I don't know if I, if I would have wanted to get on a mic after some of the bad performances we saw from him in the finals. I agree, yeah. <laughs> um, with that said, I, I, I do think there – it, it, again, I feel like nothing is is a hundred percent, especially in this scenario, right? I think there's it's there's positives and and there's negatives. I think the positives are, you know, we see guys like Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, who just hammer home these, you know, rude type of storylines. You know, I mean, how many times does Skip Bayless tweet at LeBron James just for no <laughs> reason, but to, to cause some sort of rift to try to start some sort of issue? So I, I think it's good in the sense of players can have their own voice, right? They they can they can step towards any narrative or any rumor that's coming out about them directly. And you're getting words right from the athlete. Now, I, I think that's extremely important. And again, a guy like J.J. Redick, for example, his podcast to me is a must listen. If he's dropping something, I want to listen to it. He's, he's got tremendous guests on. He comes at it from a a media person, but also as a, as a, as a basketball, as an ex basketball player, I think that's the perfect type of media new media member would be the JJ red kind where he has a little bit of both in his repertoire. Same with CJ McCollum, who has a background in journalism himself. So I think those kind of guys are a positive. I think those kind of guys will push the game forward because they can, you know, again, make comments towards narratives. They can, voice their own opinions they can give you more perspective i think sometimes especially guys like draymond they go a little bit too much over the top and i feel like they still have a little bit of their own i don't know i don't want to say ego involved but but they're coming at it from a a, a point of uh, just standoffish i i if you will i think that's draymond green's entire brand for the most part is is sticking the middle finger up to the establishment in every way possible <laughs> whether that's on the court or whether that's on the mic so i do think there's pros and there's cons I think I would lean towards the positives, but again, we've kind of seen sports media and sports TV taking an ugly turn the last 10 years where it's all about just big market teams and the same boring topics. Like, I don't know about you guys. When I was in high school, I was watching first taken sports center all the time. It's rare that I put those networks on anymore, unless there's a marquee game on TV. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think really slowly great. we're seeing 
this new media that you described, like JJ Reddick, perfect example, pushing the older media out. Like I, I think some of my favorite recent first take moments are when JJ Reddick checks something that Stephen A. Smith says. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're seeing that evolution happen. Corey, I wanted to ask you um, a, a little bit more of a fun question. Uh, you're a younger basketball fan. I would assume you're a couple years younger than than Justin and myself. Wanted to know what your favorite Pacers moment is of all time. Um, I'm 28 for the record, so I'm you know a little bit younger. Uh, maybe I'm not popular younger than us. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, we're like mid 30s. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I mean, again, I I've seen. I mean, I can tell you my worst Pacers moment, and that's uh, Reggie Miller getting blocked by Deshaun Prince on the oh. breakaway. Oh, uh, probably no. the worst moment I had in the earliest memory. I think my best favorite moment as a Pacers fan, it's, I mean, it's the, the 2012-2013 Pacers. Uh, probably Paul George baptizing a Birdman, Chris Anderson with the dunk. That's one of the one of my favorite moments. Him going back and forth with LeBron James. hits a crazy off-balance three. So I think my, my favorite moments definitely come in that, that two-year window where I still, though, have uh, nightmares about the Deshaun Prince block, Malice in the Palace. I, I still remember those. I was definitely younger, but those were all hardships. I didn't get a lot of a lot of love in those early years um, when I was really starting to follow basketball and the Pacers in general. What is the fanhood like with the Pacers in Indiana? I mean, it does seem like, you know, when um, the Paul George era Pacers were at the peak of their powers and like going up against the heat uh, back when Roy Hibbert was on the team and and like legitimately a factor there. I mean, that um, that arena was just on fire. Those playoff games It was really fun to watch. Um, what is the the fanhood like overall in the state? Um, I mean, again, so I, I need a preface. I, I live in New York. Uh, so mm-hmm. I've been in New York the last, oh man, I'm old now. So the last 14 years. So I've, I missed out on being there live for all of that. Um, I do obviously have a pretty big Pacers following. So I am pretty in, in tune with the, the fan base in general. The fan base, it, and I can remember just growing up, you know, I did CYO basketball, all of those kind of things. Indiana is true to its name when it says we breed basketball. Basketball is just a tremendous sport out there. It's what you're pretty much, you're just giving the basketball out the womb. You, you, you're born and they're like, Hey, you might like this. This is, this bounces. Try to put this in the hoop. Um, So I, I would say that it is true to form that Indiana is big fans of basketball. You can see at the college level, again, we have all those, all those big college programs in terms of Purdue, Notre Dame, Indiana, uh, you know, plenty of, uh, players in the league today, have, you know, they have ties to Indiana, actually, you know, I, the biggest one right now that sticks out is Gordon Hayward. I know there's plenty of others and obviously Hayward's a weird one. So he doesn't really play as much because of the injuries, but yeah, uh, basketball is huge in Indiana and it, it, it holds true. It, it's, it's also a city and a fan base that is dying to, to have some real success winning once again. Corey, I want to ask you looking ahead to next season, what is your overall feelings of the league? It, it, it seems, I don't know, from different fans, I you know there's some excitement over the Warriors winning, um, but yet there's also a, a lot of anger towards like the Brooklyn Nets and the Lakers, kind of, you know, players trying to go just for winning a ring. What is your opinion of 
Adam Silver's philosophy in terms of growing the game because I think you know the end game is when you know the NBA television rights come up. Um, where are they going to land, and hopefully them getting you know a bigger deal than they currently have currently, and that will rise the salaries of the players um, currently participating in the league now. So, what is kind of what are you looking for, kind of? in this season and kind of the next seasons to come in terms of maybe improvements, things you like to see tweaked or things that might be of concern based on this previous season. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I, I think the league's in a really good spot personally. Uh, I think, you know, if you, when you're looking at the NBA now compared to even 10 years ago, the talent is what stands out the most. There is just a great deal of talent. And I think that, again, we've talked about summer league, I don't think you can have summer league as big as it is now 10 years ago. I, I just don't think the talent was there. We're, we're looking at, again, and now modern science and, and sport nutrition and all of that. Obviously, we're, we're getting more and more knowledge. You know, guys like LeBron are entering year 20, still playing at the peak of his powers because of how much sport knowledge we currently have and how to treat the body, how to stay healthy. Chris Paul has extended his career by becoming vegan. So I think just given all the health advantages we've seen in the last few years, the brand of basketball is getting better and better. Now, granted, you know, some of the, the ticky tacky fouls and some of the ways people draw fouls can be a drag on the game. Guys like Trey Young and James Harden, the first two guys that come to mind, of course. Um, I know they've, you know, they made the ruling on the take foul, right? That that's no longer going to be an issue moving forward. So they're definitely doing things to make the game more watchable. Uh, and, you know, I, I think about my, my dad, for example, he, he's obviously older. Uh, one of his biggest issues in the, with the NBA was how many, how choppy it can get when there's a bunch of fouls and how the ch how choppy the game gets. I think the last few years, the game is getting a lot less choppy. I, I think obviously there's certain players that take advantage of fouls, but I think the level of play, the level of skill, we're, we're just getting better and better on that front. And I think, you know, again, I, I think we're probably on the cusp of having an expansion team not too long in the future. I think we might see a team go to Seattle, a team go to Vegas. I think we are moving towards that point because of how much talent there is in the league, um, and especially with how much money these guys are making. I mean, we're seeing, as you mentioned, Justin, that salary cap is definitely getting bigger. Um, so, I mean, personally, I think the game is in a really good spot. There's always stuff you can improve on. And obviously, I think the stuff with the superstars like Kevin Durant are more of the things I'm concerned about rather than the on-court play. Well, Corey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Glad to have you on. Finally, we won't um, our your next appearance won't be uh, will be way sooner than uh, your first one. So we appreciate you coming on, chopping up with us about the Pacers. Uh, please let us know where our audience can find you on social media and then any other projects that you're working on along with your podcast that you currently host and produce as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first off, I want to say again, thank you guys for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure to finally chop it up with you guys on Hoopsology. Uh, you guys do a tremendous job. You guys also are fantastic at getting big-name guests. I am nowhere near the guys you guys have had on, some of the ladies you've had on, but it's a pleasure to be um, among among you guys. Uh, so with that said, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Hoops. That's K-W-A-L Hoops. Uh, you can find out my podcast on all major streaming platforms, The Outlet, Full Access Pacers. Currently going to be dropping an episode of Full Access Pacers and the outlet pretty much every other week until the season starts. I'm going to be having rotating guests on. Hope to have you guys on actually in the future as well. Uh, but that's really all I got going currently. Cool. Yeah, appreciate the chat, Corey. Thank you very much.